Welcome to the Ministry Podcast. It is such a privilege that you would tune in. All of my content is designed to bring hope to the dreamers and doers that Jesus offers us a better way to life and Jesus offers us a better way to lead. I hope you enjoy today's episode. In a sense, this, this collection of talks, this series, is like the Marvel Universe. Uh, because what I'm hoping to do is each Sunday, each day, uh, you know, it's like a movie on its own where it stands alone, right? If you're here today, you haven't been here the last couple weeks, um, it'll still make sense to you. But the, the real power is when you start to see how they all connect. Avengers, anybody? You know, like Iron Man's great, but when he's with Thor, it's like, oh, you know what I'm saying? So what I'm hoping to do in this collection of talks, hopefully you're here every week and we're going to continue the next couple weeks with this. But the idea here is we're looking at the totality of our humanity. And so a lot of churches, I don't want to say that, but but some churches tend to say, okay, we're all about the heart here. True, we're about the heart. We learned about that last week. We're also about the mind. We're going to learn about the mind today. Next week, we're going to look at the body and how hopefully as a church, we're, we're all of those things put together. I, th- I think, Ron, I hear myself in the monitors again. Um, okay, so, so what I'm going to look at today, this is already point number one. Before we even dive in, it's kind of precursor of kind of describing this whole thing is, is this point right here. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came, I believe I'm in the monitors. Um, Jesus came to bring redemption to our hearts, revelation to our minds, and resurrection to our bodies. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to bring redemption to our hearts, revelation to our minds, and resurrection to our bodies. If you hear last week, we learned how he redeems our hearts. I pray that today we learn how he brings revelation. He reveals truth to our mind. Now, this can all seem a pretty overwhelming, and that's why we call this collection of talks the Jesus pace of life. Life is not a sprint, amen? It is a marathon, and we do not want you to burn out. We don't want you to be crushed um, by this race. And so we believe Jesus sets the pace for us. Some of you today, in this next season of life, are called just to jog for a while, just to take things slow. Others of you are called to kind of pick up the pace and start running and start pushing yourself in different directions. And so we hope that God will give you wisdom in this series and um, help you show what, what is God calling you to do specifically to continue this race. Let's look at verse 13. We're actually going through this whole chapter today. Are you guys all right with that? Isn't it okay to read the Word of God? And I think it's better than anything else. Amen? Amen. Okay, I love us. Okay, verse 13, it says, Hold on to instruction. Don't let go. Guard it. For it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by, for they can't sleep unless they have done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. I love verse 19, can't get it out of my mind. It says, but the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. Underline this next phrase. They don't know what makes them stumble. The title of today's message is what you think does more than you think. What you think does more than you think. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for your provision. I'm so grateful for our church family. God, for those of us who've had a hard week, I pray that we'd lay it down at the cross today. I pray that we know that you love us and you care for us. 
God, for those of us who had a great week, I pray that we make sure to praise you for all your provision. God, I pray that today we would give you our hearts, give you our minds and our bodies. And I pray that you continue to bring revelation to us. And God, I'm so grateful that we are also a faith that uses the mind. Grateful, God, that we serve a God who does not call us to turn our brains off. Instead, it's something, God, where we get to spend eternity learning more and more about who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says? Amen. Amen. In 2010, there was an arms race amongst energy corporations to become the monopoly. And an energy company in Japan was starting to notice that they were losing this race. At the same time, it became very clear there was this energy company in Australia that was head and shoulders above the rest. And so in desperation for answers, this Japanese company got their board of directors together to find a solution. And the board kept referencing different ways that we can change their marketing. If we just change our marketing, everything will be okay. But the CEO wanted to take a different route. Instead of changing their marketing, what he wanted to do was to simply change one person's mind. He surmised that this Australian company, this successful company, had one weakness. This founding mogul of the company was currently on his deathbed. So he decided that their son, Robert, was the one to take place. And so this Japanese company decided their only chance at success was to make Robert their target. What they wanted to do is to give him an idea that makes them collapse the company altogether. So what they did is they hired Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Tom Hardy, and they started infiltrating different levels of dreams and incepted the man's mind in order for them to give over the company. And this movie is called Inception. Anybody? Were you in that like it was the truth? Were you like, this is some good stuff? It is the truth, according to the movie. Christopher Nolan knows, he's the director, by the way. He's got a new movie, Tenet, coming out. Can't wait. But Christopher Nolan, enough of the movie references. We are in a movie theater. Christopher Nolan teaches us a biblical truth. What you think does more than you think. What you think does more than you think. And we looked at last week, uh, the passage said, choose life. And we do that by giving God our heart. This week we will say, we we will see here in Proverbs chapter 4, we choose life by cherishing the truth with our mind. This faith that we have from Jesus is not just a heart faith. It is also a mind faith. And that gives me, as somebody who loves to read and think, a whole lot of courage. Let's look again, verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 4. We're just going to march through this uh, together. Let's, Let's read the verse 9 verses together. It says, Listen, sons, to a father's discipline, and pay attention so that you may gain understanding. For I'm giving you a good instruction. Don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son, by the way, this is King Solomon, with my father, who was his father? David. Yes, okay. With my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. What's fun here in the Hebrew, it literally means purchase wisdom. Use all of your wealth to buy wisdom, to buy understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. Another way to translate supreme is foundational. So get wisdom. 
And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. I love verse 9. She will place a garland of favor on your head and she will give you a crown of beauty. The beautiful thing about that with a garland and a crown, it was referencing the fact that when you receive wisdom and understanding, it actually becomes evident to everyone else around you the prosperity that God has given you. So this garland and this crown has so much to do about, hey, look at my God who has blessed me, and I'm using this to tell you, continue uh, to give glory to the giver. So I want us to understand today, we looked at last week, our hearts, they're disintegrated, right? And so today we're going to look at how our minds are deceived. And that's point number one. For us to choose life, you must first understand, number one, our minds are deceived. Look at that passage here. It says, pay attention. It says, don't abandon my teaching. It says, don't turn away. Why would he say this over and over? Because our minds don't pay attention. Amen? The most sad thing ever is that statistic that says goldfish have greater attention spans than humans. I just have courage. for I, I, I just encourage with the human race that we have today. And so we have to make videos six seconds or less because the goldfish has an attention span of eight seconds. But it says, don't abandon, meaning we know our humanity. We have to understand from the get-go, as Christians, we are tempted in all humankind to be deceived. We do not drift towards truth. We drift towards deception. And our minds are being deceived. And the problem that we have in our current culture is we are trying to use our own minds to determine our own truth. And that leads to all sorts of bad things. Secular philosophy actually uh, has three different theories. And so um, you might pick up on how a lot of us in our day kind of believe in all three of these. There's different ethics. So the first theory in secular philosophy is called existential ethics. Existential ethics. What they do is they judge by inner subjectivity and feelings. In other words, what I think is right. So here's what's very problematic if you bring that before the word. Uh, Hopefully, if you're reading your word correctly, some things will rub you the wrong way. Can you take encouragement from that? Because your God is bigger than your mind. My ways, he says, are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If your God agrees with you on every single thing, you're not reading it right. Okay? But here we have existential ethics. It's just, I know it's right. I just know that there's truth and I just feel it. I don't care. And so that's kind of like the the card that, that people pull. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. If we had time, I would talk about how that's just a terrible way to live. But that's existential ethics. Don't you feel smarter? Because we use the word existential in a sermon today. I feel smarter. Okay, the next thing, one other philosophy is teleological ethics. Telos, we reference a lot here at our church. Telos just means purpose. And I believe that we're purpose-driven creatures. We are created with a unique purpose and stuff. And stuff, that's all these great words when I say and stuff. Okay, so... Teleological ethics, we got to keep it real. Teleological ethics, though, what they do is they kind of, they have the purpose wrong. They do whatever makes you the happiest. By the way you determine truth is, does this make me happy? Then it's right. So Disneyland is just perfection. Okay, right? So here's the problem with teleological ethics. We're actually celebrating it this weekend. We have to recognize many minorities, especially, have been trampled in the name of the majority's happiness. If we believe in teleological ethics, there will be a minority that gets trampled along the way. Okay, the other one, so we have existential, we have teleological, and the other one that I don't know how to pronounce, it's deontological ethics. 
which is based off of objective rules, which sounds actually right. It's not subjective. It's not your feeling. There is a right and a wrong. Here's the problem. Secularism has tried to identify objective truths outside of Scripture. So who determines that? Who determines truth? Our minds. Just a bunch of us got together, and this is objective. How do you know? So, so a lot of us, we like to give uh, the Bible a hard time, but this is such a guiding path for us. This has established for us the objective rules to follow. Okay, so Proverbs 4 reminds us, if you abandon the word of God, now again, what we have to know in reference here, we can take this to say, don't abandon my teaching. That word teaching is actually where the Torah, which is the law, which is another way that Jesus references as just the Bible. So if you don't abandon the word of God, because you know what happens when we abandon the word and come up with our own objective rules, what happens a lot of times is you wind up finding a whole group of people being okay that they're exterminating the Jews. They didn't think they were wrong. They created their own truth to support that. There's another truth that's rolling around a lot today. And let me just say, if you are a part of this, we want to extend grace upon grace to you. But we also want to protect the unborn. Aborting babies is what happens when we create our own objective truths. Another one um, is what happens is you wind up doing terrible things like we're celebrating this weekend, the, the end of that, but supporting slavery. Right, supporting um, people who claimed, even who claimed to follow their Bibles, thought it was okay to abuse and count a black man three fifths of a person, which is just horrifying. So, this objective truth, which I wish I could do a whole workshop on this because we have to determine, because even with our own lens, we can misinterpret scripture. So, we have to keep history in mind. We have to keep the rest of the word in mind. We use the scriptures to, to interpret the scriptures. But I don't have time for that, okay? So, let's keep moving forward. But we have to remember what you think does more than you think. And the problem is we are all deceived. Notice how, again, it says, hold on to my words. Verse 9, it says, cherish her, cherish wisdom. What I love about this is that it implies rigorous study, but also implies a posture of humility. When you come to the word, we're called to say, okay, God, I don't know it all, but you do. Give me the heart and the mind to learn something new about you. It also implies, this is big. Active participation with our minds. Some of us grew up in a kind of a faith tradition of just we're coming to church and we just have to turn the brains off and act like a fool, right? Sometimes it's helpful. Some of y'all need to do that. A little uptight, okay? But, but others of us, we need to allow our minds, ask those hard questions. We were just meeting with somebody from our church this week and we we're saying like, how great is it when we don't know an answer? Because that's an opportunity to learn more about God. Right? What a great opportunity to come up with a really tough question because we know God has an answer. But here's the thing. It's kind of a, something to go along with it and understanding that our minds are deceived. If the Garden of Eden has taught us anything, the reality is, is just because we are near the things of God does not mean that we actually hear the things of God. Hear me. Adam and Eve were with, walking with God and yet the deception of the snake, the serpent, they then believed that truth. So some of us have been around the things of God our whole life, but have we been hearing and doing it? That is the difference between a mind that is deceived and a mind that is now made clear with God. James 1.22, what does it say? Don't just be hearers only deceiving yourself, but what? Be doers of the word. I put it this way. The power of God does not lie in proximity. It lies in participation. 
That was good, preacher. Thank you. I'm going to say it one more time. The power of God does not lie in proximity. It lies in participation. What does that mean? It's not enough for us to go to a church that loves the Bible if you don't love the Bible. Oh, I love our church. They read the Bible every week. Good. Do you? No, but my church does. And so I am blessed by osmosis. <laughs> no. Oh, I love, some of you don't love this, but I love that our church fasts like all the time, right? Do you fast? No. I love my food, right? Well, just because your church does that, you're not really tapping into it until you participate it as well. Which, let me give a side caveat. So we, we're in the middle, we're almost ending on Tuesday, our 21-day presence. And let me just say there's grace upon grace. I know that some of us haven't fasted at all, and that's fine. Some of you have been reading your Bibles more, praying more. The whole point is just that we're reaching out for Jesus more. But the last thing we want to do at our church is, are you doing this? How come you're not doing that? So we're not checking. We're not, it's just one of the things. But I, I so firmly believe, this is, this is free. I so firmly believe for revival to come, we have to intently be attentive to God's presence. And that happens when we give God our hearts our minds, and our bodies. That's why three times a year we say for 21 days, let's move things aside and let's focus on God. Because I would rather be blamed for somebody who doesn't let people eat, right? I would rather do that than somebody who's just dull to the presence of God and doesn't really give our people as many opportunities as possible. Um, It's not enough to go to a church that thinks. You too must think. Okay, so power, the power of God, which we all know we need, does not lie in proximity. It lies in participation. Just because your husband is reading the word doesn't mean that you don't have to read the word. Okay, I'm done. Verse seven and eight, again, it says, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. I love that. Let's look at verse 10. So this is the next part of the passage. It says, listen, to my, listen, my son, accept my words and you will live many years. I am teaching you the way of wisdom. I am guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Anybody else just trip on everything? Amen. All right. Praise God. Okay. Verse 13, hold on to instruction. Don't let go. Guard it, for it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass it by, for they can't sleep unless they have done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Notice this all started because of what they thought in their minds. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. My wife taught me this week that the dawn, the morning, gives off this blue light, which wakes you up. And then the sunset gives this red light, which makes you go to sleep. That has nothing to do with this, but I thought that was a really cool fact, okay? Verse 19, Google that. I didn't check her, though. That might be wrong. That might be wrong. All right, verse 19. That's why we, we go on walks now at night so we can go to sleep. Okay, but the way, because there's like a red light thing. Okay, but the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom, like that red light stuff. They don't know what makes them stumble. Ah, oh, that's so true of our generation. They don't understand why their life's not going well. I'll tell you why. It's what you're thinking. What you think does more than you think, which leads to the next point. Our minds are deceived, how? Through destructive ideas. Through destructive ideas. 
and I know that because of Leonardo DiCaprio. No, um, it's Inception's like top 10, y'all. That's a great movie. There's nothing like the first time, though. Anyways, okay. What we have to understand here is Satan did not attack Adam and Eve with a stick. He attacked Adam and Eve with an idea. A lot of people today, we reference this as soft power. There's, there's a race today of having the most soft power, meaning it's not necessarily, it's not that you're going to be victorious just because you have nuclear weapons, which is helpful to have. That is called like hard power, I guess. But soft power is the power of the mind. Soft power is why the government's freaking out about Facebook ads, right? Trying to figure out who hacked the election. Soft power is knowing that you can change people by just trickling different bad ideas into their normal everyday diet. Satan doesn't want to hit you with a stick. You know why? When I get hit with a stick, I fight back. Even if it's my little daughter, you don't mess with me. You know what I'm saying? But if it's with an idea like Inception, I think it's my own. We give ourselves way too much credit when it comes to our thoughts. So much of the ideas coming in our head is actually from the enemy but we've accepted it as our own, which is like the Russian hackers who have given you some idea about who to vote for and all of that, okay? Mark Sayers, he's somebody we talk about often. In fact, I think there's one of his books that's available for free at this welcome table. He has a really good quote I'm gonna throw up on the screen and I think it might be helpful for us. Talking about destructive ideas of secularism. It says, through the mythologies of advertising, media, the internet, and the instructive example of celebrity, A vast mental world is daily constructed in our minds, painting the possibility of a godless utopia, a secular heaven on earth in which an individual life infused with pleasure, peace, and possibility is achievable this side of death. (laughs) Keeps going though. All right. This is only page 10 in the book. Okay. Okay. Y'all should read it. What is most striking about this secularist creed is its persistence in the face of the reality of human life. Because why? We all suffer. We yearn. We age. We sicken. We die. Welcome to church. Okay? This is what happens to us. Yet, Western culture clings tightly to its faith in the arrival of the godless utopia and the possibility of a human life untainted by suffering. One of the most destructive ideas that I've noticed in our culture is how shocked we are at death. I recently did a funeral for somebody who was 83 years old, lived a healthy life, was never sick, died in his sleep, and the family was mad at God. I'm like, sign me up for that plan, right? Because guess what? We all die. 83 years, that's pretty good. And asleep, fantastic. But we are shocked by death. Because we believe this destructive idea that this is the only life we have. Which changes a lot. I love it. It says, they, verse 19, they don't know what makes them stumble. But our Jesus came to bring revelation. John 8, 32, it says, you shall know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. You will then know what makes you stumble and you're able to walk on the right path. So again, we talked about this last week and I hope some of you did this exercise looking at your deepest desires, right? What, what cheap desires do you have and how's that pointing to a deeper desire? I don't want to re-preach that. Go listen to it on the podcast. But this week, 
if you have one thing to do this week, I want you to think about what are some destructive ideas that you believe that are currently causing you to stumble. A good way to start is what, why do you, what causes your anxiety? Is there something that you're anxious about in life? Start to really think, why am I anxious? Why do I care so much about this? And start to combat that with the truth. Some, I, I started writing down, what are some things, some destructive ideas that I see in our culture and that I see in myself, by the way? Uh, number one, I put down, it's not in your notes, but number one, I thought individualism over community. We so think what's best for me, even if it's at the expense of what's best for us. That's not very common throughout history, but that became an idea. I almost did a whole history lesson today on Descartes. I didn't. You're welcome. Now, individualism over community is a destructive idea that we hold on to firmly. Pleasure over purpose. That's a very destructive idea. We're willing to give up our purpose as long as something gives us pleasure. So destructive. The one that really is destructive, I think, within the life of the church is this phrase, people don't really change. Frozen, anybody? Because people don't really change. hate that song, okay? Mainly because of the theology behind it. People don't change. Of course they do. And what I love, when we baptize people, when we look, if you just knew the stories of our church family alone, how much we've changed, it is glorious. It is one of my, it's why I love doing this, okay? It's so fun to watch people go from death to life, to really change their habits and their minds and whatever. Um, there's a really good book I read this week. It's by David Tackle. So if this is a topic you're really interested in, his book is called Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth. Very underrated book. What I love about this book is it really does address all the destructive ideas that we have as Americans. Fantastic read um, for all you nerds, for you three nerds out there, read it. Okay. Now, here's what David Tackle claims. I won't read the quote because I don't want to be the quote guy, but he essentially says this. He says, few churches preach that transformation is actually possible. When we come, we just come to hopefully give you some encouragement to last you just for a little bit, but we don't actually believe you can actually fully change. So we just hope you come again next week to get another shot of hope to make it for another week. So even fewer actually explain how it actually occurs. So few churches believe transformation is possible. Even fewer believe they don't know how to explain it. In fact, actually, I think I skipped over it, uh, but KJ, if you could put it, it's one of the beginning slides. What we talked about for transformation, we believe it's the heart, and then the mind, and then the body, and then the soul. For us, this is our diagram for transformation. So we started last week, said we need to change our hearts. Today, we're going to learn how to transform our mind. Next week, we're going to learn how to surrender our bodies. These things, are we believe that is the map for change. And I just believe Jesus is powerful enough to bring transformation, not just for our next life, but this life. Amen. Thanks. I believe in John, when he says you may have eternal life, it actually has present implications. And here's the last thing. So David Tackle, you can go back now, but David Tackle says few churches preach transformation. Then he says fewer explain how it occurs. And I hope that that's not us. Hopefully you believe that. But even fewer demonstrate it themselves. May we be a church that believes in transformation, but may we actually demonstrate it in our own life. Or else, what are we doing here? There's really no reason. So I'd love for you to reflect. What is in your life causing you to stumble? And with that, what destructive idea have you believed? And how can you combat that with the truth? Which might, which might cause you to do a lot of scripture reading to find the truth. You're welcome. There's nothing wrong with reading a lot of the Bible. But Harkins has a movie coming up, so let's continue. Verse 20, it says, My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. 
Don't, underline this, lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are alive to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Just notice this right away. We're already seeing the, the, the relationship between our heart and our minds and our bodies. This is how transformation actually occurs. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. What actually might really be disappointing to you, when you actually learn the context of guard your heart here, heart actually means thoughts and emotions. Guard your thoughts and guard your emotions. Maybe it's not disappointing to you. It's kind of disappointing to me because I thought that was a little more like fluffy. Okay, verse 24. No one. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. This is the last point. Our minds are deceived through destructive ideas and distorted images. Distorted images. What you think does more than you think. And here, what we learn in this last paragraph is our minds are heavily influenced by images. It says, set your gaze. Don't lose sight. Have your eyes look forward. Your eyes inform your mind and also informs your heart. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking at? What images are actually bringing us closer to fellowship with the Father? Now, this can be very positive. There's some very positive images we have all throughout Scripture. Uh, The feet washing, I believe that's like an image that we can see and it knows how we can serve other people. The cross, that's why it's an image that we show. It reminds us of God's love for us. It reminds us of our call to live in humility. Even something kind of lame, this pulpit, I'm so excited for our four-year anniversary last last week. Y'all gifted me, even though I bought it myself, y'all gifted me with this pulpit. You know, it's weird, like this is the image in my mind of this kind of actually reminds me of the sacredness of this preaching rather than some little rink-a-dink iPad stand who I'm very thankful for, but praise God, that's done, right? So little images, even like this, actually help your mind and get you in the proper place, okay? So, so well, yeah, okay, we only got a few more minutes. What we have to see here, though, is an image is so important. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what is your picture of success? What is your telos? What is your purpose? Here he's saying, set your eyes forward. The question we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking toward? Your minds have to have an image that it's seeking after or else it will wander and be deceived. What's your gaze upon? Some of us, our gaze is upon fame. Everything we do is because of that one end goal. Some of our gaze, a lot of our gaze is on approval. If I just get approved by people, that is success. Some of us, it's money. Some of us, it's comfort. Some of us, it's security. Are all of these things evil? No, but they are if that is what you're setting your gaze upon. That's why I love the story with Moses when you have the staff with representative Jesus. Look to the staff and be saved from the serpent. This is the image that we're called to believe. We're called to look to God and that informs us. A better way to look at it is the question again to ask yourself, what's your picture of success? But even better question, what is the picture you have of yourself? How do you view yourself? Had another quote. I decided not to bring it, but, but it talked about, uh, in David Tackle's book, the chief problem is these destructive ideas, but also we have a distorted image of God 
and we have a distorted image of ourself. And what I want to say today, your distorted image of God then naturally causes you to have a distorted image of yourself. So let me, as I'm done, here are two different distorted images I think all of us fall into. And I think what he's saying to bring health to your whole body, we're called not to have these images anymore. Number one, maybe this is you. Some of us have self-rejection. The image we have ourselves is self-rejecting. Self-rejection is a sign you have a distorted image of yourself and you have a distorted image of God. Do you struggle with self-rejection? God loves you. He cares for you. He does not want you to reject yourself. How do you know that you are, you know, basking in self-rejection? Henry Nouwen brings up a good point, actually, that if you're trying to seek success, seek popularity and seek power, it's actually a sign. Most of us would think it's a sign that you're self-righteous. No, most of us, if we're trying to seek approval, it's because we are self-rejecting. We do not approve ourselves. And so we're looking for that approval everywhere else because we don't love what God has done for us. So an attractive solution, if you are self-rejecting, is success, is an altered image, is a bigger ego to make up for your self-rejection. Henry Nouwen put it this way, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. We have no reason to self-reject because Jesus died on the cross for us. He cares and loves you and designed you for a purpose. But some of us, we don't have self-rejection as a distorted image of ourself. Others of us, we have self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a sign that you have a distorted image of yourself and you have a distorted image of God. You believe that God is just here to mark off tallies and you're here to prove that you are better than everybody else. That is a distorted idea, a distorted image. And so we have to ask ourselves, what ideas and images are informing our minds? Is it leading us to self-rejection or is it leading us to self-righteousness? The reality is it should be neither. It leads us to be basking in the beauty of God and being grateful for who we actually are and using this to bless and love and serve other people. Jesus came to redeem our self-distorted image. Jesus came to redeem our distorted image of God. I want to encourage you, Jesus did not just come to bring redemption as a beautiful Savior. He also came to bring revelation as a brilliant teacher. And what we believe in our minds does way more than we recognize. What you think does more than you think.